This is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. But I know a good kid when I see one. Because they're all good kids. Until dried out, brain dead skags like you drag them down and convince them they're no good. You so much as scowl at my niece or any other kid in this school and I hear about it and I'm coming looking for you. Take this quarter. Go downtown and have a rat gnaw that thing off your face. Mic drop by the candy man, not Tony Todd, but the man of the month, Mr. John Candy. As we're back talking about one of my personal favorite uh, in-law movies, someone comes in and take care of the family kind of scenario films, Uncle Buck, which I did see in the theater on August 18th, 1989, when it came out. Of course, welcome back to Candy Month. I'm your host, Trey Harris, and the buck to my uncle, producer extraordinaire, feeling better, Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. And that's right, finally. Now, again, Armed and Dangerous, Great Outdoors, or The Good Outdoors, as we come to call it around here, <laughs> you know, not terrible, not not bad films by any stretch of the imagination, but not never truly tapping that keg of of John Candy that we get, in my opinion, with this film, and of course next week's too. Uh, but more on that next week. But anyway, Uncle Buck, everybody, August 18th, 1989, as I said, seven on IMDb, which is a little low to me. Rotten Tomatoes, 64% critics, 76% audience, much, much better. Audiences truly enjoyed this film. The budget, uh, I actually forgot to put that on my notes, but we'll get that in a second. It opened, however, at 87 Domestically, we go on to grow $66.7 million domestically. Worldwide, it did get a worldwide release in some other countries. I say worldwide, but you know you know what that means. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would go on to further its total to $79.2 million worldwide. Of course, uh, so hard to find any concrete information on the rentals. But the budget was a $15 million estimated budget. So crush that budget. C-Minute John Candy has a huge, huge name in comedy. And rightfully so, uh, as before. Oh, I, I shouldn't say as before, but uh, veteran of the podcast director John Hughes, of course, Sixteen Candles, Breakfast Club, Weird Science, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and next week's Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Not to mention numerous writing cred- credits, including this film, which he also wrote. But I mean, John Hughes wrote practically almost every amazing '80s comedy, National Lampoon's, uh, every one of their vacations, Weird Science, Breakfast Club, Home Alone, and next week's as well, Trains, Planes, and Automobiles. Cinematography in this one was by Ralph Bode, or Ralph Bode. I'm not sure how he pronounces it. There's no accent over the E, so I'll just say Bode. Uh, but he also was a cinematographer for Saturday Night Fever, Coal Miner's Daughter, and the Michael Caine horror thriller classic, quotation marks, Dressed to Kill. That's all I'll say about that one. Go check it out if you want to see a interesting, interesting slasher thriller. But again, starring the late, great... Let me, let me step back. The always great and unfortunately late... John Candy as Buck Russell. If you don't know who he is, get the hell out of here. Uh, and also co-starring for the first time with him, Macaulay Culkin as Miles. Of course, he would go on to greater fame and headlining his own movies, Home Alone 1 and 2, Getting Even with Dad. And of course, recently, uh, kind of a comeback for him on American Horror Story, a show which I have not watched after the first season. Actually, uh, after the first season and the first episode of the second season, where I was like, nah, I'm done with this. <laughs> but apparently I was wrong because it's a big hit. So there you go. Also starring Amy Madigan as Shanice. Uh, she was uh, Kevin Costner's wife in Field of Dreams. She was recently in Gone Baby Gone. 
And in an underrated kind of 80s classic yet to be covered on the podcast, but eventually will be for sure, because we're <laughs> the list of movies we haven't covered is getting thinner every week. <laughs> Streets of Fire. Uh, also starring, uh, this was interesting too, uh, Tia, the older sister, the kind of prota- uh, antagonist of the film, Jean Louisa Kelly. She was recently in the film, which I recommended a couple weeks ago in October, Malignant. She was also in Mr. Holland's Opus, and she will also be starring in the upcoming Top Gun 2, or well, technically Top Gun colon Maverick, which still has not come out. And we got to wait practically almost another year for summer of 2020. When the movie's done, I'm not sure why they're holding on to it. Be a great Christmas release. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. One of my most anticipated films of the year, aside from uh, that, that hasn't come out yet, I should say, aside from Ghostbusters, which comes out tomorrow or midnight tonight, I guess, uh, in some places in theaters. Uh, so eagerly anticipating Top Gun 2, but yeah. we all got to wait. Mm-hmm. Also starring as rounding out the family or the kids, I should say, in the film, Gabby Hoffman is Maisie. Uh, she was also in Field of Dreams with Amy Madigan. Uh, she was also in Now and Then with uh, Demi Moore and Christina Ricci, which is one of my wife's favorite movies. And she was also a regular on the show Transparent, which uh, got our boy Jeffrey mm-hmm. Tambor in a lot of trouble a few, uh, I guess, wow, maybe a year ago, a while back, seems like. Because I, th- I think we mentioned that pandemic. when we covered Saturday. Yeah, because <clears throat> uh, I remember we mentioned that, you know, Jeffrey Tambor getting into trouble when yeah. we talked about Saturday the 14th, whenever that was, and that seems like forever ago. So. <laughs> Uh, and also another uh, big name, Lori Metcalf is Marcy, of course, regular on Roseanne. Spoiler alert: one of the killers in Scream Two. Recently in Ladies Bird, uh, Lady Bird, excuse me, <laughs> I don't Ladies know Ladies Bird. Bird. <laughs> but, uh, and I didn't know this; she was actually the voice of Andy's mom in Toy Story, not the original, but two through four. So she, she kind of took over the role after the first one, which I totally didn't know until I was just seeing what else she had been in. And also uh, starring Garrett M. Brown as Bob, Uncle Bob, or Daddy Bob, I guess I should say. Yeah. But he was also in Kick-Ass 1 and 2, uh, a couple of, uh, or an ABC after school special. He was in Lucas. He was a regular on Roswell. And also American Crime Story, the uh, first season, I believe, with uh, the cover of the O.J. Simpson trial hmm. and everything. And actually, Garrett, Mr. Mr. Brown is actually a friend of my parents uh, from when they were innkeepers in Big Bear. And hopefully we'll have an interview coming up with him. I got his contact information. Just got to reach out and get all that kind of squared yeah. away. So we're going to have some behind the scenes exclusives mm-hmm. on Uncle Buck, hopefully on a special episode coming up as soon as we can get that organized. Jesse, let me remember to talk to you about that after. Because right. I totally forgot to do it before <laughs> in our pre-show chit chat. Uh, also starring Elaine Bromka as Cindy. She was the mom of the kids. She was uh, in Days of Our Lives and she started in several after school specials as well. And finally, Susan Shepard as the uh, Mrs. Hogwart. I'm sorry, Hogarth. Uh, She was also in Goodfellas, Mystic Pizza, Requiem for a Dream. Very, uh, she's she's a lot of kind of character actress in a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, but of course, mostly remembered for having that thing on her face, as John Candy said. Now, I saw this movie day one in the theater. I'm not. I'm not sure. I can't remember if. I wanted to see it because of seeing a trailer or if, you know, we went to the movies a lot when I was a kid, when, you know, all the time. So I'm not sure if it's one my parents wanted to see and we got to go along or if it's something that, you know, we like, oh, this movie looks funny. We want to see it. Blah, blah, blah. Don't remember that. Nevertheless, I remember watching the theater and enjoying it. But this is a film that I truly, truly think gets better the older you get. Because mm-hmm. it's it's almost kind of a dark comedy in some points <laughs> with stuff, but also 
I haven't watched this movie in probably a couple years, maybe four or five even. But I realize that it's the first time I've watched it since I've become a parent, a space parent, not a parent. Uh, if you, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Uh, so, but watching it this time, I realized how much of some of the things that I've said to my daughter are directly how Buck is in this movie. So subconsciously, somehow, this film influenced me a lot more than I ever remembered until I kind of watched it today, or uh, a few days ago, I should say. So, but truly, like as a kid, this was like, oh yeah, I like it, but I'd rather watch, you know, Home Alone or something else or, you know, Cool Runnings or, you know, I recognize it, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't like a rewatchable one as a kid, even though it's got, it's got some great stuff. You know, Macaulay Culkin is that perfect, both of the kids, uh, both uh, Gabby Hoffman and... Uh, Macaulay Culkin or that, you know, that kid level. Because it's John Hughes. The movie operates on multiple levels. You got the adult level with the adults in the film. You got the teenager level with Tia and Bug. And then you got the kid level with Macaulay Culkin and uh, Gabby Hoffman's character. So you got kind of, this film's got a kind of a viewpoint for everybody. As a kid, you're like, oh, this is so funny. Oh, he's making a pancake the size of a freaking tabletop. That's the coolest fucking thing ever. I wish I could have a pancake that big. You know, you got all that kind of cool stuff. You know, Macaulay Culkin asking him questions. Him and Candy had great chemistry in this. It's a shame they didn't share any scenes in Home Alone. <laughs> uh, but then you have the teenager stuff, which as a teenager, you're like, yeah, like, God, leave me alone, Uncle Buck. Like, you're not that cool to me now because I'm a teenager and I want to go listen. I want to go to these parties, et cetera, et cetera. So you have that kind of level. But then you have the final level of the film, which is where, in my opinion, the true genius and heart of this movie all lie in with the adult characters, you know, the only uh, complaint I really have with the adult characters really is that, you know, I think it's a little, cause the movie is, I thought this movie was like over an hour, like almost two hours from my memory. I thought it was like maybe an hour 45. It's like, I think it's an hour 30 or maybe I'm mistaken. Uh, just double check me on that real quick, Jesse. I think it's, I think it's like an hour and a half. Oh, oh no, oh, excuse me. I thought it was like closer to two hours. It's an, I was, I was off by 15 minutes. I knew I was, <laughs> I thought I was remembering it incorrectly, but it's only like an hour and 40 and it goes by fast. It feels like an hour and a half mm-hmm. for sure. To me, at least. Especially as an adult, as a kid, the kid humor parts are kind of far, far between. So it does seem to drag more as a kid feels more like that two hour movie, but as an adult where it's, again, this movie is so you, you you can't get this movie until you're an adult. And I mean like fully, you can enjoy it at any age. Don't get me wrong. I'm not being ageist about anything, (laughs) but when you have that older perspective and you watch this movie, that's when you're kind of seeing it for the first time. It's not like three amigos, which no matter what age you watch it, it's in, it's amazing. It's super funny. And every time you watch it, you kind of pick up another little nuanced joke and that kind of thing. But this movie is just, you know, I can remember watching it as a kid. I remember watching it as a kid. I mean, like, oh, I loved like how the kids were doing. I love the, the, the exaggerated stuff Uncle Buck did. As a teenager, it's like, you know, uh, this is, you know, not as funny as I remember it. But as an adult watching it now, it's funnier than I ever remembered it. And honestly, I think it's a genius film in terms of how it operates. But my complaint, what I was getting to, I don't think I kind of summed it up was that the adult storyline of like the parents, mainly the mom and daughter relationship between, uh, what was the mom's name? Cindy and Tia in the film. You get that it's there and that it's strained by the dialogue, but that heartwarming, heartwarming moment at the end is just, it it doesn't quite hit right because you don't have quite as much of a buildup as you would need for it. It's done well at the end, but it seems like at the beginning, they needed a little more mother daughter kind of thing to kind of, really just bring the tears on at that part. But the end is, it's a great movie. Great at the end. Love it at the end. 
really like, you know, it's, that's more so a nitpick. I mean, if I, you know, cause, and that's the thing, let me soapbox time. And then Jesse, <laughs> you can tell me what you think of the movie, <laughs> but uh first soapbox of the episode. Uh, I'm so tired today of like, Oh, this movie's getting review bombed or oh, the critics don't know what they're talking about when they're talking about like, for example, most recently the biggest release that got, or two biggest releases that got like panned by critics, but you know, quote unquote fans love Halloween kills and Eternals. You know, I've, I've seen Halloween kills. I enjoy it, but it's not the best, you know, uh, I, I, I can, what I'm getting at is there's blind fandom. You know, there's a difference between critics and fans. And I honestly, you know, I don't want to know what a fan says. I'd like to know what a critic says simply because that part, whether uh, hold on, let me let me let me kind of let me let me phrase this correctly. <laughs> let me get my thoughts in order so I don't contradict myself in the sentence. <laughs> um, you know, fans are passionate blindly about what they watch a lot of the time. You know, oh, I'm a true fan. I love it. If you don't think Halloween Kills is the second best Halloween movie, you're not a true fan. Well, that's all bullshit. What you said. So take a step, take a breath, and step back and rephrase your your speaking. Uh, what I'm getting at is is that. You know, we all have opinions on movies. For example, I'll bring it up every damn time because it's one of the greatest movies ever made. with one of the greatest performances ever. Van Damme Street Fighter, Raul Julia. <laughs> Trust me, one of the greatest performances of all time. You know, is it a good movie? No. No. Does it deserve what the critics gave it? Absolutely. But I love that movie. So I don't care if you hate it or love it. If you think it's the worst movie you ever saw, that's fine. I'm not going to argue with you. But it, to me, it's one of the best movies ever made. It's my—it's like a comfort movie for me. Is—is is it so bad? It's good, yes. But it's—you know—it's—it's it's a cheesy movie with some amazing performances in it. Well, especially <laughs> one amazing performance, I guess I should say, to be perfectly honest, because Van Damme has admitted he was coked out of his mind. But you know, Independence Day, we get—you know—we get—we get one great speech, which in real life Jesse gave it at a birthday party one time and it was amazing in a restaurant uh but you know in street fighter we got an amazing speech that van damme gives about who wants to go home who's going home who wants to go with me <laughs> sorry my voice i'm getting over a little cold myself <clears throat> excuse me and then you also have the one line the greatest line ever spoken on film by raw julia when he's telling the story about chun li and for me <laughs> for you the day bison graced your village it was the most important day of your life. But for me, it was Tuesday. <laughs> you that one he that's how good of an actor he was. And mm -hmm. honestly, incredibly underrated in his career, I think. Never given enough props. I mean, go watch the Adams family. Gomez kills it as Gomez. I mean, he is Gomez. I mean, he's yeah. nailed it. I mean, so perfect. Uh, but then in in this, you know, bad movie, he gives one line that sums up. And he gives it in such a way that sums up every single thing you need to know about that character in one line. Now, of course, the writer wrote the line, but his delivery and acting of it is a master class in how how to do it. And, you know, the dude's dying of cancer at the time, everybody. And this is and he gave, he he does that. Okay. What, again, let me okay. Let's bring it back to the soapbox part before we get back to Uncle Buck. <laughs> We're going on tangents within tangents here, which is typical for the show. So I apologize if we lost you already, which you wouldn't know because you're not listening. <laughs> but for those loyal many, many who do, what I'm saying is is that be respectful of other people's opinions, which I said the other day too. But you know, understand that a critic is is going to their job is to look at movies critically. Jaws is one of the greatest, is arguably 
to me, the greatest movie ever made. But it has problems. That doesn't mean it's not amazing. No movie is perfect. I cannot name a perfect movie, literally, because you, you, there's always something you can pick out of them. And that's a critic's job. So let the critics do their job, and you go on your YouTube channel or your Facebook page or TikTok, and you can bash them all you want. But just understand that's their job. They have to. They look at it critically. And also, guess what? If somebody in New York who makes more money than we do for writing a review of a movie doesn't like a movie, that doesn't stop you from liking it. Hmm. Just saying. And I know everybody out there can say that to me every time a remake comes out. I agree with you. But just, you know, I understand the need to vent. I give you that. You know, some it's, you got to vent sometimes. I got this podcast. That's how I get to do it. Otherwise, my wife would have divorced me a long time ago. <laughs> but it's not the case, thankfully, for my relationship. So anyway, back to Uncle Buck. Uh, where was I? Anyway, movie's great. Yep. <laughs> uh, overall. So, yeah, Jesse, I'm 99.99% sure you've seen this film. Probably more than once. Um, so, yeah, I watched it what your recently. Thoughts of it? Whenever we Excellent. got into John Candy month, I rewatched it. Um, you summed it up. It's a much better movie for adults. And mm-hmm. um, we could see that in the reviews like left on here how under 18s give it the lowest score which isn't that low it's a six and a half or so and mm-hmm. it just kind of as people get older the ratings go up um, yeah it's that is right there yeah you you stated facts without even seeing the facts because that's exactly what it is yeah great movie i really enjoy it. i feel like there's an extended cut somewhere um absolutely that we just never get to see and mm-hmm. um you know, if we ever get the chance to remake it, we'll add the extended footage. <laughs> but it would be a nice little, nice little thing to happen. Yep. But uh, yeah, and and going back to the the previous two films we covered too, this one is written and directed by John Hughes, and we did I did talk about how in the Great Outdoors, I think if Hughes had directed it, it mm-hmm. probably would have been I would have enjoyed it better. And I think this is kind of proof positive, or I shouldn't say that because everything's subjective. Sure. This is a good uh, example of why. John Hughes is a great writer-director. His best work, I think, are the ones that he wrote and directed. Weird Science, Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller's Plane Trains, this. Uh, and, of course, Home Alone is great. Don't get me wrong. You know, it, it's not – there's nothing – I don't think you can make that movie any better. Chris Columbus did a great job. Uh, but in terms of, like, you know, the main 80 – you know, that's 90. I think Home Alone was 90, maybe 91. 90, yeah. Uh, early 90s for sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> but it just shows, you know – Rob Zombie doesn't need to write and direct his own stuff. Mel Gibson, you know, despite his uh, personal choices in life, talking about him solely as a writer and director, uh, does a pretty good job. Eastwood, well, I don't think Eastwood has written a lot of his stuff. Maybe Gibson didn't either. Who am I thinking of? Anyway, put a pin (laughs) in that, come back to it. John Hughes is a good example. You know, my bad example is Rob Zombie. I think Rob Zombie is a good director, but he should not direct things that he writes. Because he is a terrible writer. I don't care what anybody says. Like, critically or fan-wise, you can enjoy how he writes. But, I mean, you have to admit, it's not good. Again, I'm not saying you shouldn't enjoy it. But, I mean, it's bad writing. Unequivocally, it's bad. But if you like that, that's fine. So I'm not saying you shouldn't like it. Uh, But he's a bad writer. But I think he's got a great eye in his movies. Like, his movies are visually great. I'd, I'd much rather watch his movies, most of them. I think Lords of Salem is probably his best one. Uh, and I think he did write that one as well. I think he wrote a book. I think it was actually a book and then made into a movie or vice or, you know, 
vice versa. Um, but John Hughes is an amazing writer, I think. And I think he's a very good director. And his directing style perfectly uh, complements his direction. We just watched a scene where Tia leaves the breakfast table mm-hmm. and just the shot of – you know, she's you have that foreground post. You know, it's hard to say without again a visual reference on audio yeah. podcast, so I'm sorry. But it's it's the subtlety of direction that makes it good and can emphasize and make or break a moment in the writing and the acting and the delivery. This film's a great example of that. Mm-hmm. John Candy is great in the great outdoors, but I think, you know, it needed a better, I think watching this one too, especially right after The Great Outdoors, which I've never done. I've never watched all these movies back to back, so to speak. You really just see the difference in the unique touch and talent that John Hughes had. But he also really knew how to kind of handle John Candy's comedy too. And it makes it so much more apparent in this film. In The Great Outdoors, all the little, excuse me, sorry. Uh, all the little uh, nuances of his, you know, his little underhanded comments, they're there and they're delivered well, but it's not displayed well in the direction. In this film, all of his like, you know, stuff like, hey, I'm going to draw you out to the middle of nowhere. You know what original killing is? Like all the stuff he's saying is so, it's it's much more present in the scene, if that makes sense. That's the only way I can really think to explain it, to where it just makes such a big, big difference to me. Uh and it's a, this is a pinnacle of Candy's career, in my opinion. Top three uh, others would be, obviously, for me, we Plane, Trains, Automobiles, and uh, Cool Runnings. Uh, for me, his top three. Uh, but this one is, you know, this one, honestly, for in terms of him personally, probably number two. I, I'd have to put Plane, Trains as number one because, which we'll talk, I'll talk actually, I'll, I'll tell you why next week. Yeah. There you go. I don't need to talk about it this week. That one I need but, to watch. Uh, it's been a while. We watch it every year. And, you know, Steve Martin is a – well, uh, uh, put a pin in it. <laughs> we'll talk about that movie next week. Yeah. Don't, Jesse, don't get me started on a tangent. You got to got to pull Definitely the reins not about there. the movie that we're watching next time. You'll have nothing yeah. left. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so if you haven't seen Uncle Buck, highest possible recommendation. I think it's a great – for sure – I think people that have seen it, that enjoy it, you know, it's it's one of those – It's I think it's underrated – but it's kind of not underrated because the people that have seen it are pretty positive. You know, it's a pretty well uh, remembered movie. But I think it's one of those forgotten classics where it's not the first one that comes up. But I would put Uncle Buck up there in the same, like, you know, in the conversation for 10 best comedy movies of the 80s, hmm. for sure. And maybe even all time. I don't know. I mean, that's a that's a big that's a much broader scope to say that. But uh, in the 80s, you know, I mean, again, I talked about it last week. These Armed and Dangerous and Great Outdoors had to compete against incredibly revered and respected comedies. And they did. They did find their audience. They People loved the Great Outdoors. People loved Armed and Dangerous. Rightfully so. You know, again, my opinion, they're not bad, but they're not great. Uncle Buck is a great film. And this is why I miss John Candy. Mm-hmm. Movies like this and, of course, next week's because it's just – you know, it's just, I, I've been told Autumn, I said, I'm going to have to remember some of these lines from when my w- daughter brings home a boyfriend. <laughs> or, I, you know, because <laughs> I got, you know, I got, exactly. You know what a hatchet is, bud? <laughs> Here it is. Got you know, it's, it's great. It's so good. And especially, especially as a father to a daughter, like, you know, it hits you home a little more because of the, you know, the plot line with TN Bug and what, you know, 
and we all, every one of us was a teenager. We all know how we were then. We didn't listen to what our parents said, but as we get older, like, God damn it, they were right. You know, <laughs> not about everything, but a lot of things they were that we completely disregarded in this film. <laughs> Look at that directing. That's, mm-hmm. you know, just, uh, it's just so good. Sorry, we're watching the, the hatchet scene in the trunk on YouTube. <laughs> but again, bottom line, watch the movie. It's amazing. Uh, let's get to the trivia real quick. Uh, a lot, of, a lot of interesting things about this film, mainly the what if stuff, which we'll get into in just a second. But uh, one of my favorite scenes is where Macaulay Culkin is basically interrogating John Candy. And it's uh, where he's like, you know, how old are you? He's just, What's your first job? You know, where'd you go to college? All this kind of back and forth. Great scene. Well written, well shot, well cut. But uh, for the close ups of Macaulay Culkin, where he's talking to John Candy, he's actually reading the dialogue off cue cards that were stuck to John Candy's or I should say postcards that were stuck to John Candy's forehead. So he could just go through them. Bam, 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 bam. So uh, obviously in the reverse shot, Candy doesn't have him on his forehead because, you know, it's a reverse shot. Uh, but Candy actually wrote that scene as well. That was all Candy, that mm-hmm. entire scene of the interrogation. Uh, and I thought this was really interesting, uh, much like the breakfast club where it wasn't in a real school library. Cause that's like the coolest school library I've ever seen. Uh, Every almost every set was built in a local high school gymnasium, including the entire two story house. Wow. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. I'm getting over that cold. Like I told you. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and originally, of course, this film's in, in Illinois and much like, you know, I think, uh, uh, I know breakfast club is in Illinois. I can't remember if weird science is or not. It seems like it might've, it was Ferris Bueller's was for sure. Uh, you know, kind of a John, Can- uh, excuse me, John Hughes staple, but it was originally intended to be shot at St. Louis, Missouri, rather than Chicago. And they were about to begin, but they had to move it to Chicago because St. Louis had an unseasonably warm winter. So there was no snow on the ground. So it didn't look like winter. Mm. And I thought this was me and my, me and my wife had a puzzle about the, or we were puzzled about this because a big thing about the film, the, the genesis or the, the catalyst of the film is that the parents have to leave because the mom's dad had a heart attack and they have to go to Indiana right away. Now they're, you know, I'm assuming out right outside of Chicago based on context clues of the movie. That's only a three hour. It's a less than three hour drive. Yeah. So that means it's like a 30 minute flight. If that long. <laughs> and there it's, it's all the, you know, we had to laugh about it. Cause like, you know, you can leave the kids with the ma, uh, the teenager to just run over there for a day or two and come back. You know, it's only three hours. Uh, so I thought that was – as a kid, I had no concept even though I, I mean I knew geography. But as I'm like, wait a second. Indianapolis <laughs> is not that far from Chicago. <laughs> they're in, you know, one's in Indiana. One's in uh, Illinois. And I, I, they're touching. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. You know, so yeah, they only had to go three hours away. You know, it wasn't like they had to go from like if uh, – for example, if I had to go back home because, Jesse, you were sick and, you know, I had to come to your deathbed. You know, I'd have to get on a four-hour plane ride or a, <laughs> spend a day driving. You know, there's – you don't drive – from California to Louisiana in an emergency, you fly Indiana to Illinois. You know, by the time you went to the airport, I think Mythbusters, myth, yeah, Mythbusters did that thing. I'm not sure the distance they did, but I know they kind of said it was negligible. To, uh, LA, I think. Yeah. It was something like that. That was drivable. And I think he beat them yeah. by like just a few minutes, mm-hmm. like 10, 30, maybe 30 minutes, maybe. So all the hubba, all the trouble of going to the airport Getting all, all that stuff with the plane, possible delays, mm-hmm. all that stuff. You're say, only saving about 30 minutes for like short trips. So you know what? And it's probably, well, honestly, you know, gas, 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 yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> gas prices these days, it might actually be cheaper to fly. <laughs> but, you know, you're three hours away. Just jump in the car and go. Yeah. 
You know, you don't even need to waste time checking all that check, you know, possibly losing a bag, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, that's the logistics of it. They should have said like they were in DC or something, made it a little more uh, feasible, like how urgent it was. If I had to go somewhere three hours and I had a teenage daughter her age, I mean, hopefully I wouldn't have that bad of a relationship with her like the parents <laughs> have in this film. But, you know, I would like, okay, look, you're, you know, we're only going to be going this way. Here's the number. Here's the numbers to the neighbors. You know, should be fine. I mean, I, 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 was, I was never left alone overnight, you know, at under 10 or anything like, or not a, as a teenager, but, you know, I, you know, I was a latchkey kid. I was home for, by myself for hours every day till the parents got home from work at five or six at night, you know? So, but overnight, obviously is a different thing, like I'm saying, but I mean, I, I remember as a teenager, the parents going out of town or being late for parties or, you know, whatever they might have going, or they went to New Orleans just for the night. And I just had to, you know, just me and my brother for that one night. We're fine. So uh, again, different time, everything. And of course, when you're a parent, you have to judge that based on your child, you know, your opinion of your own child, you know, anyway, but yeah, only three hours. <laughs> so get in the car and go. I think you were fine. But then again, that it needed to happen because we needed to have Uncle Buck come over. So just again, nitpicking the movie uh, for humor's, hopefully some semblance of humor's sake. Uh, mm. Now, I thought this was interesting too. Uh, John Goodman was one of the people considered for the role of Uncle Buck. And of course, we all know John Goodman, Goodman would later go on to be Fred Flintstone in the live action Flintstones movie. Yeah. Uh, but. John Candy was actually, when they were, as that movie was in early, early pre-production, John Candy was the choice for Fred Flintstone. However, of course, we all know he passed away in 94. Mm -hmm. Flintstones came out after that, or that same year, actually, I think. So he didn't get to be in it because the Flintstones was actually John Candy's favorite cartoon. So he was a big uh, proponent of wanting to be in it. And he would have, you know, John Goodman's great in that movie. Don't get me wrong. But John Candy would have been, you know, as good or better, in my opinion, uh, in that film, for sure. Not that it's a cinematic masterpiece, but the first one's not not bad at all. Oh, look, there's a reduction the intro of the Flintstones, which I haven't seen since it came out in theaters. Uh, but that's Vasquez Rocks, <laughs> where we talked about oh, right. been several times. Uh, it's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, and like I said, we like to talk about what ifs on this film, on uh, on these, and the what ifs for the role of Uncle Buck. Get ready, because I'm about to I'm about to blast some names. There's considered Danny DeVito. Tom Cruise. Actually, I'll say to him, and we'll like, we'll like, we can say if we think it would have worked. Danny DeVito, I think it could have worked. Yeah, I think it Tom Cruise, work. no. Dan Aykroyd, eh. He, I don't think so. Not, not for this film. Uh, George Went, could have. Would have been more of a TV kind of movie, yeah. I think, with him. You know, No offense to George Went, but I mean, he's Norm. Yeah. He's Norm from Cheers. You know, he's iconic uh, in that. Uh, Michael Keaton, I mean, he did Mr. Mom, so it almost would have just been a rehash of that. Ed O'Neill, which I can see, you know, I kind of been like Dutch almost <laughs> early before Dutch. <laughs> uh, John Travolta, hell no. Jack Nicholson, no, because it would have been a dark. It would absolutely have been a much different movie if old Jack was in the movie in the role. <laughs> uh, let's see, Robin Williams would have been great, but yeah. again, we kind of got that with Mrs. Doubtfire. Mm -hmm. uh, Joe Pesci, again, that would have been a different movie. It would have been an R-rated movie. Uh, Bill Murray, I could see that, but you know, still not my first choice. Tom Hanks who didn't do it because he was doing Turner and Hooch mm. would have been, you know, like Tom Hanks is not the type of person to be the, you know, the, for lack of a better word, slob, yeah, you know, not, mooching. It would have been stressed out. Him. <laughs> yeah. Stress yeah. Out <laughs> just, it would have just been stressed out. <laughs> they would have to made him like a neat freak or something. And then the, the family's just messy. It had to have another layer to it. <laughs> uh, Jim Belushi, bleh, <laughs> Dudley Moore. No, thanks. Uh, Chevy Chase. Eh, nah. No. Jim Carrey, which he would have to have been like just crazy Jim yeah. Carrey, like 
complete, you know, Ace Ventura. Actually, no, I think like more like Fire Marshal Bill Jim Carrey. <laughs> and finally, Tim Allen, which no, no, I don't. He would have just like, oh, yeah, I see you're not doing your homework. Okay. You know, yeah, Tim Allen works in movies that are written for him. This is not a movie that would have worked for him. Yeah. In my opinion. Uh, for the role of Tia, they actually wanted Winona Ryder, which would have been great. Uh, although Gene, what was it? Or Gene, uh, yeah, Gene Louisa Kelly, she did great. Well, you know, there's one moment where I was like, that's some bad acting. But other than that, she did very well. Liked her in the movie. Yeah. But they were the first, but uh, what Ryder was the first choice after John Hughes had seen her in Beetlejuice the year before, but she had to turn it down because she was working on Heather's at the time, hmm. which worked out for the betterment of everybody involved. Yeah. Uh, they also considered Ali Sheedy, which. She seems like she would have been too old, I think. I guess, well, maybe not in 89, but uh, I think they, I think, you know, the casting in this was very well done for what it was. Uh, the role of Bob oh, Russell, yeah. which uh, is the role that a uh, friend of the family, uh, Garrett Brown, was going to play. They originally wanted Rick Moranis. He turned it down, which is good because, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a minor role. Yeah, it would have taken away. There's not much. It. Yeah. Uh, and they, they also considered Steve Martin, which would have been weird unless, Any like, star it was done. in that role would have been weird. Yeah, unless like literally it's just it's literally just there for like if you kept it the same to where like, wait a second, I thought Steve Martin was going to be in this the whole time. It's like, no. Oh, he's out of it already. Mm-hmm. OK, I can see that kind of surprise. Yeah. But I think it would have immediately detracted from the movie having that big, notable comedic star yeah. be that role in this movie that is clearly this is the candy show and everybody else's you know, help is assisting with that and on the same, and knowing the assignment and that would have gone against the assignment. That's that extra kid in the group. That's like, yeah, my parents are rich. So if we wanted to get some visual aids, I could have them buy some blah, blah, blah for this science presentation. Mm. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I think if not, don't worry about it. They actually, uh, John Hughes kind of, uh, or uh, I'm sorry, excuse me. And of course, Macaulay Culkin would go on to be the arguably Next to Shirley Temple, maybe the biggest child star of all time mm. that I could think of off the top of my head. Uh, but when they were casting for Home Alone, Chris Columbus had already seen him in this, but he did want to audition some other kids just to see, even though John Hughes, the writer of Home Alone, had his heart set on Culkin. So Christopher Columbus met Macaulay Culkin in New York and was so charmed with him, he thought it was fantastic, but he still auditioned five other kids. Hold on one second. <coughs> Again, pardon me. Still auditioned five other kids for the role, but he could not get Kel- Culkin's performance out of his mind, which is actually why the backstory behind Home Alone, which is how Macaulay Culkin got cast. It was pretty much his relationship with John Hughes on this movie was kind of the big impetus for like Hughes. Like, I wrote this movie called Home Alone. This kid's great. We need to get him in it. I wrote it for him. Of course, you know, the director's like, oh, that's great, writer. But let me <laughs> audition some other people. And of course, like you've done movies before, writer. <laughs> you haven't done, you know, up until this point, you've never done any movies like I've done. And what have you done up until this point, Chris Columbus? Uh, I don't, I don't know because I don't remember. Because <laughs> if you ask me to name Chris Columbus's films, Home Alone, Home Alone Two, uh, Harry Potter One, and maybe Harry Potter Two, I think. Maybe. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, is he a bad? You know, I don't think he's a bad director by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, oh, he did Rent, yeah. He did the uh, the movie version of Rent. Yeah, but so he's a good director. That, you don't uh, be wrong. Yeah, he's the writer Gremlins. Yeah, Gremlins. Joe Dante the Goonies. directed Gremlins. Well, uh, for writing. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. Uh, let's see. Yeah, before that. Yeah, Home Alone. <laughs> Adventures. Oh, of and, okay. Yeah, okay. 
I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying. In 1990, you're Chris Columbus, and John Hughes is writing your movie, yeah, yeah. and all you've done is directed Adventures in Babysitting and Heartbreak Hotel. One of which is a great movie, and I don't remember Heartbreak. I think Heartbreak Hotel was with who was even in that. That's not the. Yeah, I don't even. I remember the movie. I remember the VHS box cover. You know. Yeah. Meanwhile, John Hughes, everything we've mentioned before, the biggest movies of the 80s. You should have just taken his, as it was proven, just take his advice. Save everyone some time. <laughs> and it, yeah, and it worked out. It worked. You know, don't, don't get these five other, four other kids' hopes up. You know, <laughs> just just don't 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 crush their dreams. <laughs> we have a friend who you know auditioned for Forrest Gump, if I remember correctly, and you know you know that that stays with you when you don't get it. <laughs> you know, so don't uh, you know don't don't these are kids. Don't like give them that option. Of course, I'm teasing. You know, if you're a director and you think this other kid might be good, you definitely want to see what they can do. Obviously, that's the industry. I'm I'm being facetious. Right. Uh, so yeah, so that's a little bit behind the story of '90s Revisited. Even though Home Alone obviously began production in the '80s, uh, and also this this film's actually notable too because it's one of the first films in where they show teenagers listening to rap as opposed to rock music. Mm. So innovative for its time as well. Uh, Score wise. I, I, this one gets an 8.5 for me. Uh, it's it's great, as I, as I've ex, exploitative exploitatively hard for me to enunciate with this. <clears throat> you know, it's cold. <laughs> Not that I can enunciate good in, in without a cold. It's just making it worse. Uh, as I've excitedly explained earlier, uh, you know, I give it an 8.5. I think it's it's an amazing. It's a beautiful, well done, underrated film that deserves to be revisited and revisited often in my opinion. And that's that. Uh, Jesse, if you had to pop a score on this baby, what'd you give it? Yeah, I'll give it an eight. Well done. Yeah. So thumbs up certified fresh <laughs> on eighties revisited by us. So in the real world, again, this released August 18th, 1989, two days later in Beverly Hills, California, about an hour and 20 minutes down the road from me, Lyle and Eric Menendez shoot their parents to death in the family's den. Oh my. Kicking off a big, big trial and all that stuff. And I think that was actually, speaking of American Horror Story earlier, or American Crime Story, I think that was one of the other seasons of it, I think, wasn't it? I, don't, I mean, I don't know. If, I, I didn't watch I think it. think it might have been the second or third season. I know they did, because the first one was OJ. And then they had another one, which I didn't see. Oh, no, I think the second one was like uh, the fashion guy that got killed. And then the next one was the impeachment, unless there was another one in between there. But I thought they had something about Are you there was something the table. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I can hear that. Um, yeah, I mean honestly, I don't recall. I never watched I don't the know. show. I might it might be I might be uh projecting that season 3. Yeah, okay, yeah. So I'm I'm totally off on that. It seems like there was something on a series about it. Maybe it was a documentary series or something recently or not too far back uh about it. So hmm. there's that. Yeah, but they're in jail, rotting away for, you don't just, mm-hmm. you know, despite what you're saying, you spoil little rich brats, your parents, you know, you don't kill them. So uh, you deserve where you're at. Yep. Bottom line. That's the bottom line. <laughs> but uh, anyway, back to the future. We, Jesse, we did it. We can finally talk about 2021's Dune. Dune. The floor is yours, my friend, because <laughs> you saw it before I did. And we're chomping at the bit. I did, so but I don't really have a Dune. huge connection to Dune. Uh, my <laughs> first impression of the 80s Dune was not a positive one, as we talked about. Um, yeah. And this one, I mean, it looks nice. There's so many things going on to where you got to... 
I think they adapted the movie, the last movie, fine. But you got to know what the heck was going on in that last movie in order for this mm-hmm. one to make sense. Less so though. Bit of the storytelling's easier. Uh, the shields came out a little better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and funny thing is, those shields, the way they did the effects in this movie, could have easily have happened in the '80s because they just took a plate of one color and just offset yeah. it a little bit. That could have mm-hmm. easily been done back then, but instead they wanted to make them look like fake 3D models. Blocks. Yeah. <laughs> Minecraft. <laughs> yeah, blurry blocks. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, the story of it, um, I was, I knew it was going to end abruptly because I got, that was the big spoiler of it all. I was like, yeah, it just kind of ends. And I thought it ended in a fine spot because I knew there'd be more. Um, yeah. I think the casting was well done. I wasn't upset by anyone in that. Um, this Timothy Chalamet, I don't, I don't know. He's fine, I guess. In this, it's just, yeah, I don't know. He's kind of a scrawny little dude. <laughs> yeah, he's very scrawny. He's surrounded he's by tiny. these huge people. <laughs> yeah, you got Bowen on one side, Jason Momoa on the other, and you got this stick standing in between. Yeah, he's just a little stick. And him. he's the one that's gonna become a god. He's not shaped like his. Uh, well, I guess he's kind of shaped like his mother. <laughs> I was going to say, who's he shaped like? But, um, yeah, overall, it's fine. Um, I don't know if I need to watch it again. I'll, I will watch, you know, the next ones now that they've been greenlit. But, um, yeah, thankfully. I am not, I'm probably not in the same wheelhouse as everyone giving it anything above an eight. Um, you know, I'd probably give it around a seven, seven and a half. It was good, though. I'd say overall, mm-hmm. if someone asked me just one word, yeah, it was good. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you 100%. And actually, like, now, I again, you have to take into consideration nostalgia mm-hmm. from what I'm going to say, you know, my point of view, and also expectations. Mm-hmm. Because Dennis Villeneuve, again, I, I will never probably ever learn how to pronounce <laughs> his name, so I apologize. Uh, is, Denny V. I think the Den- – <laughs> yeah, Denny V. There you Denny go. V. Denny V. Uh, <laughs> Denny V's Dune, uh, visually, did not disappoint on the visuals. Right. Because I mean, he's, he has, he's, uh, he's, to me, he, he, he's what Ridley Scott was in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Now, same thing with, I would say, you know, I'd put uh, District 9, uh, Neil Blomkamp in that same category, although his current movie was a little disappointing, but it was low budget and done during quarantine, so I'm not going to hold that against him. Uh, but honestly, like, so again, after I've only watched it once, probably won't watch it again until part two comes out. I prefer the 84 version way <laughs> much more over this one. And the reason behind that is, is, you know, the first one, or the, when I say the first one, I'm talking about David Lynch's movie. Uh, a, obviously, I mean, it's one of my favorite movies. Like, you know, it's, I, I think, I do think it's underrated. But again, as I said before, I understand why people don't like it or some, you know, it just doesn't work for some people. I understand that completely. But, you know, watching that one, it, and it's really hard to explain. Like, if, if you didn't know anything about Dune and you watch this one, you're fine. Like, I mean, you, it does convey what you need to know well. But honestly, the I, this one made me appreciate more the at the time the original Dune was made in '84. The I think the genius of the inner monologue. Of course, that's distracting. People find that distracting. Or like, what the hell? Mm. But you know, that show you on YouTube, I mean, uh, Netflix is super popular and that's all that happens in that show. And it's way more obtusive and ridiculous on that. 
Um, you know, so this one is beautiful. You know, Timothy Chalamet, I don't think he's bad at all, but he does, you know, I, my Paul Atreides is Kyle MacLachlan. Because <laughs> yeah. there was uh, Tim uh, Chalamet in this one is, you know, he's, I don't, he's a bad actor at all. But it seems like it almost is like this character already knows the way he's acting. It seems like he already knows that he's gonna, he's destined for greatness. Right. Whereas there was that naivety in uh, Kyle McLaughlin's, where like you really see a change in him. Like if you look at, at his character at the beginning of Dune '84 and the end of Dune '84. Now, granted, it's the whole story. You know, I have, I have to remember. You know, we have to take that into consideration. You know, but even to the point where he meets the Fremen, like you see, like when his, when he knows his that. In, in fact, there's a great moment in the '84 Dune where they're <laughs> flying the Orthonopter. You know, where she's like, oh, your, your, your father's dead. And he's like, I know. And like, like at that moment, like that's the that's where his character, that's the arc. That's the peak of the arc or, you know, or or, or the uh, the turning point for that character in the hero's journey where he goes from, you know, oh, yeah, don't worry. I know what to do. Like, oh, I lo- father, are you going to be OK? Or, I mean, what's happening here? Like, I'm, I don't know what's going on to immediate. Like now I am in a position where I have to be in a basically he grew up in that moment in the 84 Dune. And I think it showed, I think it's, a, I think it's a better performance, but again, nostalgia. And this, and this Dune is only half the movie. Uh, literally only half the movie because the, this movie is two and a half hours of what an hour and 15 was in the f- original Dune. Actually almost yeah. probably close to an hour and a half uh, in Dune 84 is this movie. So basically you could watch Dune 84 and stop it at the same point of this movie. And you get the hour and a half version yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Uh, you know, so I mean, I mean, I'm really again, and to touch on what I was saying earlier, because of the nostalgia and the expectation, which that's all, me, both of those are me. That's that's what I bring to this movie. So you know, I can't I can't disassociate myself from all that because nostal- nostalgia is a horrible. Is a nostalgia is probably the the mo- one of the most dangerous double edged swords when it comes to stuff like this because like the new Masters of the Universe came out on Netflix. I thought it was absolutely amazing. But all these fans are like this is this is terrible. Why is Tila the main character? He man's not even in it. Like, well, if you're paying attention to what's going on, there is a story happening here, and we're only getting part of it. Hmm. You know, but, but that's but you know, you can't exactly require ask for logic when it comes to an internet argument because that doesn't <laughs> work for some reason. Um, yeah. So I mean, as of how it stands now, I prefer the '84 version in terms of watching. Again, I will. I mean, the lines, the quote, you know, uh, quotes, all that, but. Again, everybody understand that's me. I did enjoy this version, but I would give it a, a seven too. Like you know, it, it didn't. Bl- I was hoping for an, a revelation. Like he's you know, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I had I was like nervous about he. Uh, Denny V killed it. Blade Runner twenty forty nine was amazing. Uh, uh, an incredible sequel to a a film that you know is has only only got to its greatness later in life, and then got a sequel thirty years later, and a sequel that was good so high expectations and again there was so much there's nothing really bad about it it's just that this is again uh, for me it's the nostalgia and the expectations my expectations were not quite met with this first half Hmm. uh the casting i thought was perfect uh aside from you know i do have some like i said the small quibbles with sean matt he's a good actor but i can't i can't say if it's bad casting or if he's good or not until we see the next half yeah we got to uh, see the change in him. Yeah. And that, that's going to be the tell to me. Like, and that, cause that to me, that is a big crux of that character. Cause he, you, this is a person, this is a, 
it's coming of age, but with, you know, we come of age, we got to get a job. This dude comes of age because his, his royal father is murdered and he basically, you know, is thrust into a world that he only saw and was protected from. And now he's has to be a leader in it. You know, there's a huge change that happens and it's done. So Kyle McLaughlin nails it in the original. So we have to see what that, you know, cause he, you know, I was at the end of this, I'm left optimistic because when he, you know, when he kills Jamey in that fight, it's like, he's never killed anyone before. You know, you, you that's, that part was great. Mm-hmm. But that also leads me to the part, the other bit of casting that I have to wait and see in the next part. And that's Zendaya. Now people were, According to the internet, people were furious that she was not in this movie more. But if anybody, you know, <laughs> and she was put in this, in my, this is my opinion. I personally think that she's a very one note actress. Now, I have not seen that show Euphoria, which I've heard she's very good in. I've only seen uh, the Spider Man movies. Yeah. Uh, the two that she was in and uh, Greatest Showman. Yeah. And, you know, nothing to me, nothing special. Uh, in terms of acting, that's all I'm, that's all I'm talking about here is acting. And, you know, she appears for five minutes in this movie and there was nothing, you know, there, there are actors that with a five minute role can steal a movie mm-hmm. or can leave an impact. I'm just left like, okay, this is, she's in here. She's in this movie. To, she was in my, my impression right now. And this is, again, we're only seeing half the movie. So understand that's why I'm saying this. She hasn't even got to her big role yet her big part yet, which we'll see in a couple years, uh, is that she was put in this, she was cast in this movie to bring in that audience, that audience that is, you know, taking to TikTok and whatever current social media is the big dog to say how, oh, why is she only in this movie five minutes and she's in on the, po- on the poster? Well, they, you know, oh, they lied to us. No, they didn't. They said from the beginning, this is only half the story. She's playing this character and that character doesn't come in till the end of the first act. So, hey, calm the hell down. B, my personal opinion is they could have got a better actress for it as of now, but she's the one making millions, not me. So <laughs> people know better than I do. Just my opinion. I'm just a voice on the internet, but I'm, you know, that's the, the next part is going to really d- have a bigger impact on how I view this one because 84 Dune, I can look, we can look at the whole picture already beginning to end. We got the whole story. This one, we only got half the story and we just got to see, in my opinion. But, I mean, Javier Bardem did great. Uh, my girl, uh, Rebecca Ferguson, was a great choice. You know, all the choices, I think, were absolutely fantastic. Even Jason Momoa, who I've long said is I don't consider yeah. a very good actor. I think he's, he's also a one-note actor. He went a little – he did he stepped it up a little bit for this. Was it the best? No, but he did a – he, you know, I was like I, – I did not see Jason Momoa. I saw Duncan Idaho. I didn't get lost in like, oh, it's just Jason Momoa. Like, yeah, I'm going to go take out Batman or whatever I got to do. I'm going to make a joke about Wonder Woman's lasso, blah, blah, blah. No, he really did good in this. I, I, I think, he, I think you know, cats off to him. He surprised me. I'm hoping that in part two, Zendaya will do the same thing. But I personally have to wait and see how that's going to go. So, and then a lot of people were saying, oh, they changed, uh, you know, uh, Max von Sydow's character, you know, to a black woman. Like, oh, she did fine. I don't see what the problem is with that. You know, so I don't have any problem with that kind of, you know, the quote unquote controversial casting, which is ridiculous. You cast the person who's best for the role, no matter what they look like, mm-hmm. which is why rock. I love you. I love the rock, but you are never going to be James Bond. <laughs> you are not. Wait, is the that person. the talk? The what? Is that what they're saying? 
No, oh, he's like saying on social media that he wants to be the next Bond. Oh, he's not British. Or he's like, I want to be Bond. <laughs> you know, you don't even, I mean, well, well, honestly, the only British James Bond was oh. Daniel Craig. Because Sean Connery was Scottish. Oh, true. Pierce Brosnan yeah. was Irish. You know, you know, so, you well, know. British my Isle, pick, James Bond, at least. Yeah, I, mean, I, I understand what you're saying. Absolutely. You know, I mean, my personal pick would be Idris Elba. And if you're, oh, he's too old. Go watch Suicide Squad. No, he's not. Yeah. Dude fucking kills it, man. Elba is, a, is an amazing actor. He's British. Not that he's the only British actor out there, but he's still, you know, when they were first, before Daniel Craig got cast, I was like, I was, you know, with The Wire on the mind and knowing that he was English, like, I just hope he a great James Bond. And then, of course, you got people, like, oh, well, he's black, so he can't be James Bond. No, that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Puff Daddy can't be James Bond, like you said years ago, too. <laughs> <laughs> but Idris Elba absolutely can be James Bond. And, that, and it's that's because Idris Elba can act. He can act his – he could be he could be a, a fucking plate on a table. And it, you know, <laughs> the role of plate is played by Idris Elba, and he would kill it. That's how good of an actor he is. And that should be the that should be why these people are hired, not you know, for any kind of you know fa- false wokeness. And I say false wokeness in a term of doing it simply because of that to say, hey, look, I'm I'm with the times as opposed to doing something, you know, for for the what's best for the movie and who was best qualified. And uh, I'm for, I'm sorry to say I don't know the actress's name offhand who played Kinds in this film, but she was great, no problems at all. They they cast the right person, Sharon. Duncan Brewster, yeah. great job, amazing job, you know, no, no complaints. Uh, so yeah, there's a little soapbox for you, you know, cast the person who's best for the role mm-hmm. and you know, who's got the talent for it. You know, if I was casting this, I never would have thought about Jason Momoa, but he did a great job. Mm-hmm. He did a great job in this film. Uh, so again, hats off to him and can't wait to see what uh, part two holds for Shelmet and uh, uh, Zendaya's performances. Cause you know, they're, Studios are paying the money, so they, they have to see something in a screen test or something that I haven't seen. Now, Shamet is, is a good actor. Don't get me wrong. He was great in what I've seen him in previously, but I'm only talking about his performance in this film. And Zendaya, I mean, she's, you know, I have no problem with her in, the, in any in the Spider-Man movies or Greatest Showman, but she's very, in the things I've seen her in, again, one note, mm-hmm. one note performance to me. So if you like Zendaya, I'm sorry. I don't dislike her. I just think they could have got somebody better. But that is a asterisk by that statement until part two comes out. So I think I've repeated myself enough about <laughs> Dune. But I uh, also saw Shang. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Shang Chi. I, I keep saying too. Shang because because of Shang Tsung. I always every, every, yeah, we're from Louisiana. We seen. we say Shang. You know, I know it's Shang. So if I please don't come at me if I Shang-Chi. say Shang over the course of talking instead of Shang. I know it's mm-hmm. Shang Chi. Um, but on that one. Uh, I'm a huge fan. If you listen to this podcast in any time, I'm a huge fan of Asian cinema. I grew up on martial arts movies. I love martial arts movies. The Shaw Brothers films are some of the most incredible action movies ever made. And the first half of Shang-Chi, I absolutely, I was on board the whole time. Like, okay, this is good. Uh, the bus yeah. fight scene, all the fight scenes were so well done. Very well done. Exactly what I expected to see in this film. I do wish they would have done some longer takes, which is a very, uh, big thing in Asian cinema and martial arts movies overseas mm-hmm. that, you know, it's long, it's like a dance. It's, it's all like a dance. The best way I can put it to where it's incredibly choreographed. When you watch Asian films, usually in fight scenes, watch the amounts of cuts. It's all usually wide shots, long, long mom- moments until they cut. And then it's still another long shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wish I would have done a little bit more of that, but 
my complaint with this film is if this was not a Mar- MCU movie, I probably would have liked it better. Hmm. But when they get to this hidden village with the, the car ride through the forest, yeah. I checked out. I was done. <laughs> that was, To me, that was so unnecessary. It yeah. was so stupid. It went, it went too far for what the story was to me. Now, the, the character of the Mandarin and the fight scene at the end with him and uh, Shang-Chi – Awesome. I, I love everything they did with the Mandarin, although I think they should have they should have stuck to their guns and kept him villainous. Mm. Not that, you know, it I'm needed misled. a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. he should have been he because, he, he, you know, oh, he met this girl, you know, 30 years ago. And all of a sudden, after being alive for a thousand years, he's not quite a warlord anymore. Mm. Nah, bruh. <laughs> so, you know, but it was it was still like he was all like, uh, uh, for, uh, I don't know the actor's names. Because uh, it's the first time I've seen him in anything, uh, but Shang Chi was good. Uh, the guy that went, the guy that played uh, the Mandarin, not Ben Kingsley, he's good. He was awesome, and I think they, they did. I, I love what they did about how him, like not necessarily flying, but how he like shoot the rings at the ground to yeah. like jump almost like the Hulk. But they did. They, they were smart when before he would land, he'd shoot him at the ground again to slow himself down because he's just a man. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was little things like that. The way they handled like the mechanics of the Mandarin's rings was perfect. It's, as a instead of him just dressed up like, uh, uh, God damn it, um, Big Trouble in Little China, the villain. Ah, uh, I can see him. I can't think of his name. <laughs> oh, you saw Lopan. No, uh, instead of him, because you know, uh, in the comic books, the Mandarin basically looks like Lopan, <laughs> long ornate robes, and he's got the ten rings on his fingers, finger rings. I love what they did with the rings in this film. I thought they translated it well. They made it cool and dynamic. Love all that. But the second half of this, or the, the I guess it's pretty much the half of the movie. When they get to the the whole ancient city where his mom was from, even though that's where we get Michelle Yeoh and she's always fantastic, that story point to me was just, I was like, what is this? this is, it became, it went from an MCU movie to a Dragon Ball Z movie. Mm-hmm. Now, not hating Dragon Ball Z, but the you know and again if this was not MCU I probably would have liked that ending better because I'm not expe- I I'll be honest with you in my opinion Phase Four MCU movies Black Widow Shang Chi haven't seen Eternals yet but I've seen Black Widow and Shang Chi and the movies are just nowhere near the caliber of the last yeah. two phases to me TV shows damn they the Falcon Winter Soldier Wanda Vision. Uh, Especially Loki was my favorite of those. Yeah, uh, they're killing it on the TV. Like that feels like the MCU. Black Widow, they overdid it in my opinion. This one, it was going so good until the end. Just didn't like that. And we also, and they, it, I'm so tired of these movies. You don't need, <coughs> excuse me. You only need one character to be comic relief. Yes. You don't need two. Aquafina is fine, and then when you throw in Ben Kingsley, they should have left Aqua. You know, Aquafina should have stayed in in San Francisco because <laughs> as soon as they bring in Ben Kingsley, we don't need both of them. But they then they have, you know you have that trope. They had to give Aquafina something to do. So they she said before, "Oh, I can, <laughs> I can drive. I can yeah. drive. Oh, so you can obviously do the impossible." And then at the end, like, oh, you can make a one in a million shot and you're not Hawkeye. Like Hawkeye probably <laughs> can barely make that shot. You made a Hawkeye shot. There's nothing to build up to that. Like, yeah. you know, that that was that. I'm like when she's like that whole I'm like she I'm, I'm, I'm 
you know, anybody who's watched a movie knows as they're watching, it's like, no, you can't have a bow. They're like, oh, look, I'm doing the bow practice. I'm getting better. <laughs> and every, anybody who's watching this who's seen the movie before should know this is going to come into play where she's yeah. going to save the day with a miraculous moment. Yep, she's not a superhero. <laughs> Shang-Chi is. Michelle Yeoh is. The Mandarin is. Death Dealer is the the masked uh, character who gets unceremoniously taken out after kicking everybody's ass in this movie, <laughs> which was disappointing. I was expecting to see him and the sister face off in a great uh, scene. Not so. Uh, so yeah, to me, Shang Chi half the first half was awesome. Loved mm-hmm. it. So excited, and I, to me, it fell apart at the end. Which you know what, bro? They got to sell toys. Yeah, they got to you know the, it went from. All, you know, teetering on like kind of the level of Winter Soldier in terms of like story and like kind of the dark side of it, like you know, you know, being an, a comic movie that operates on multiple levels to straight up going to '90s Dragon Ball Z, which I'm not, I I don't dislike Dragon Ball Z. That was something my brother watched and I didn't. I picked on him for watching it because that's what older brothers do. Dragon Ball Z came out in America, or I was made aware of in America, to me at least, when I was kind of aged to where I didn't get it. But, you know, people just a few years younger than me, like our friend Tim, our friend Ben, I think, I'm pretty sure Ben loves Dragon Ball. You know, I've never gone back and watched it. I'm not saying it's a bad show at all. I'm not saying that. I It was just not in the zeitgeist of my life until I was in that age where, like, everything sucks, bro, because I was a teenager, if that makes any sense. So now was the ending bad? I'm not saying it's bad, but the first half does not match the second half of the film. It seems like that could have been the sequel almost. I think they could have handled it all where they did, but they had to go fantastical. I understand why they did it. Um, Just that second act, I just, you know, checked out. I'm off work. Mm -hmm. I went from like thinking, loving to from loving it to liking it. Bad movie. No second half. Not my favorite. So, yeah, yeah. but uh, you said you saw a lot of other stuff, other things too, Jesse. So, uh, uh, yeah, I also saw Black Widow. Um, I saw Free Man. Oh, uh, you mean uh, Free Guy? Free Guy, yeah, that's the one. Okay, yeah, <laughs> I um, love that. I thought that movie surprised the hell out of me. I was gonna say the same thing. I was, I was not expecting to like it just because that of that last fight was cheesy, but yeah. yeah. But yeah, I don't want to spoil anything. A, but that's a nice that, but, bit of comedy mixed with some action. It was good. Yeah, you can tell like they wrote it, people wrote it in in current video game culture, mm-hmm. you know. Which I had to like, you know. The only thing I, I think I talked about on the podcast, but I, I hated all like I hated how they put all the streamers and Twitch people in on it. Like, yeah. oh my god, what's guy doing? Which that's such a time that's going to be such a timestamp for the movie. Yeah, but I understand why they did it. But without spoiling anything, that last fight, those those two moments where things happen, was just like. <laughs> I was, I, I had the, it was like in cool runnings where the dad shows his t-shirt, you know, <laughs> I just, I just, I, I couldn't help, but just right. have the, the dumbest smile on my face. I, it was so awesome. Yeah. So, I was like, how do they get I'm away with that? It. And then you have yeah. to look up some information to find out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was so good. Like truly like, uh, that was probably one of the most surprising movies. Cause I, I wasn't expecting it to be stupid, to be honest. Right, but they did a fantastic job with it. I think yeah, because they got to bend so many rules just to make it make sense story wise. Because honestly, those developers have full control of the game; they can make <laughs> whatever they want happen. There's no yeah. way, you know. Yeah, so I, I don't want to say too much, but yeah, it's it's worth a watch for sure. Absolutely, uh, I finally saw like Tenet. 
Oh, nice. Um, what were you done about a free guy? Oh, I forgot. Second. Okay. Well, <laughs> I got uh, excited because you saw Tenet. <laughs> yeah. So Tenet, um, it's probably lower on the. It was cool, but it was. This is another one that probably gets a lower rating than the average rating for me because, mm-hmm. like, I got what was happening maybe because I watched it so far after everybody and mm-hmm. have heard the explanations and stuff. So I got what was happening in the movie. Um, they explain it multiple times. Yeah. Like you're watching it and you're like, okay, I get it. And they're like, no, I don't think you understand. <laughs> and then they keep explaining it? it. So, I mean, the yeah. last, this is opposite of uh, Shang-Chi where like the first half of the movie, I'm like, come on, I get it. Stop explaining this to me. <laughs> and then the last half of the movie, fantastic. Yeah. And see, this, I, I agree with you completely. I mean, I liked it a little more than you did, but um, the, the, the crazy thing to me is I agree that they explain it so much to where like, this is how it works in the movie mm-hmm. and they repeat it multiple mm-hmm. times. Yet people still didn't get it. <laughs> yeah. You know, everybody like, you know, I, I'm going to have to watch it again. Cause I didn't get it. I'm just thinking like, how could you, I'm like, I thought I was like, seeing response it was, okay remember that meme that came out about the dress if it was blue and black or white and right. gold like when i saw it I'm like this dress is blue and black and of course the dress is in fact blue and black in the picture i've never seen white or gold but my wife autumn was like i thought she was fucking with me when that happened <laughs> i'm like babe are you seriously telling me like don't 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 i, I thought she was fucking because she's like no that's it's white and gold it's not blue and black i like we, I we had like both. i was ex- I was exasperated. I was like, this, are you, because I thought I was going crazy. I'm like, you're telling me this is white and gold. This is blue, like this, I'm telling you, I see blue and black here. Like, you, you don't fuck with, like, I was literally like, don't screw with me, Autumn. Is this, what color is this dress? <laughs> oh, man. So, because uh, I, I never saw white or gold. I always saw, to me, like my, again, not saying, oh, I got better eyes than anybody, but like, you know, I couldn't, I, I never saw people like, oh, I see it in this light. But, you know, and then like, cause I even, I went to, I, I was so adamant with my wife. I went to Photoshop and I took the <laughs> dropper yeah. and I dropped it, you know, and then I, you know, filled the screen. I'm like, what color is that? Blue. That's the dress. <laughs> I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. <laughs> you know, but, uh, but, but, but same thing with tenant, like I, people are watching it. Or, you know, like a lot of people on my friends list are like, hey, uh, oh, you know, like, or, or just comments like, oh, I finally saw Tenet. Like, man, what the hell was going on? I'm just like, am I a genius? Because <laughs> I had no problem understanding the damn thing. Yeah. Because they, like you said, they, you know, and honestly, and, you know, it's sad. <laughs> Excuse me. Because, like, you, it's like, okay, like, you know, I was like, you, I, you know, it didn't bother me. You know, I was like, I get it. Okay, yeah, I get it. I get it. There's okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, here we go. Boom! Oh, so amazing. And it's like, what? I'm like, if you cannot get like tenant, like I don't know. It 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 blows my mind how people don't get it. Now, of course, <laughs> everybody. You know, I'm talking about me personally. If you didn't get it, I'm not saying I'm smarter than you at all. You know, there I, there are movies that I've watched hundreds of times, and then I, I watch them again, and I catch something I never caught before. I'm not saying. You know, don't please don't take it. If you like, oh, I didn't get ten and Trace saying I'm stupid. I'm not. I'm exaggerating for humorous purposes. Yeah. At least I hope they're humorous. You know, but like, but like, like you said, Jesse. Like, I'm like, they're explaining this a lot. Yeah. And people still didn't. And you know, 
and I say people, I'm talking about the people that in my circle that talked about like, yeah, I thought it was cool, but I mean, what was the hell was going on? I'm like, okay, so you did watch it, right? Because if you yeah. paid attention, I mean, there's, and also for me, now I, you know, I was paying hyper attention. That's what why I think it was. I was too. because it was Christopher Nolan. <laughs> yeah. Have you not seen Memento? Have you not seen Interstellar? Mm. Identity. You have to pay attention to it. The first, the first time we're watching it. I mean, it's it's it, 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 he uses standard film tropes to do this too. In the first, the opera house scene, which is an amazing sequence, when uh. Uh, you know, which we come to find out, spoiler alert, is uh, Robert Pattinson saves him and he turns around. He has that charm on his backpack. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he, they sh- he shows it. He blatantly shows it. It is a film technique. I'm going to show you this and, and show you that uh, Denzel's son notices this. I'm like, OK, I know in the whole movie I'm watching for that backpack charm. And where do you mm-hmm. see it again? Mm-hmm. Very end. I'm like, mm-hmm. that's a charm. That's a charm. He was the one in the beginning. Oh, my God. <laughs> All you had to do was watch the movie. Now again, like you were, like I was saying, I was watching this like you know, like Clockwork Orange. I had my eyelids up. If I had to go refill the popcorn in the kitchen, we paused it. Mm-hmm. You know, didn't miss a second of it. Very well could have been the case, but as you said too, they did explain this process multiple, multiple times. times yeah. And like they, and they even if you look at the escalation of how they used it, it ramped up. Like to like, here's how it works. Let me show you. Okay on a basic level. Okay, good. You got that. Now let's move on to the advanced level. Okay. Here's how it's going to work this way. Okay. You got that. Good. Now we're going to show how it works this way. Mm-hmm. And now we're at this huge finale where you hope you paid attention to everything else. Cause it all comes into play at this mm-hmm. moment. Which you know, was great. Absolutely. Was so excellent because they stopped with the explanations and just did it. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's like, if you don't know, if you don't know it by the time after the car chase, you're not going to get it. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to stop it there and go start it over again <laughs> and then get to the end so you can enjoy. You know. yeah. And again, I'm, I'm not saying that I watch movies different. Every, every single person watches movies differently. Yeah. But, you know, as you, you I mean, you pointed out to me because I didn't even think about that until like you kind of was saying it. You were saying it like that, which is true, because I mean, I was watching this very not like I was watching Uncle Buck. You know, I didn't watch Uncle Buck like staring at the screen, not missing a moment. <laughs> yeah. You know, but anytime Christopher Nolan makes a movie. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm going to get the bigger popcorn. I'm not going to get a big drink because I don't want to risk a bathroom break. I'm going to pay attention the entire time. I'm going to every single thing on the frame, my eyes are darting around. Yep. Like, what does this mean? It mean everything means something. He makes it easy yeah. for you too. Like even down to like the colors that people were wearing, like with the blues. Yeah. And reds. It's like, they didn't need to do that, but they just wanted you to understand so you could see it. It's, it's a lot of over explanation in this movie. Um, yeah, but uh, in the but, masks, you know, I, mean, I would have covered it too. Oh yeah, but, true. Uh, nope, they're like, nope. Throw some blue in there too. <laughs> We're gonna mix it up. But you know, in in that defense, people still didn't get it. So you know, you got to make you you, you have he, he I think he does make movies for a particular audience in particular, mm-hmm. but he still has to rein himself in because I mean, you know, otherwise he'd be a David Lynch. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's, I made this movie. Uh, if you if you don't get it, you know you don't get it. You know there's there's just right. like there's just nothing, which that's what made David Lynch successful. That would that's what make that's what makes him an interesting filmmaker is because he does he shoots what he thinks and just he doesn't care. But David Lynch doesn't have a hundred million dollar movies to his credit. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know who's better? I'm not gonna say because I love David Lynch, but I love Christopher Nolan. I like heady movies. 
Now, there have been some movies that I've watched that are too heady for me. <laughs> don't get me wrong. And, you know, it's not, I don't, I don't want to spend a hard day working and then go watch, you know, a movie where I have to pay attention to it. Like when Tenet came out, I didn't watch it the day it came out because I knew I wanted to make sure, you know, I waited for a night when we waited for a night when Viola went to bed a little early. So we had plenty of time and we could watch it and pay attention to it. Hmm. You know, uh, there's a, uh, like, for example, I have, uh, you know, everybody has blind spots in their film watching thing. I have never seen Apocalypse Now hmm. and I've had it ready to go. But I got to set aside the three hours to watch it. Right. And I don't want to watch it in pieces. I want to watch it where I can give it, you know, I want to watch it and be able to watch it, if you know what I mean. You know? So, like, uh, like I don't think Autumn – I think Autumn's never seen The Godfather. But, you know, again, that's one of those old two cassette tape movies. Yeah. So, you got to – and it's one, like, you got you to gotta pay attention to to know who's, who's double-crossing who, what the reason is, you know. You really can't watch The Godfather for the first time in pieces. I think it's a disservice to the film. A lot of movies like that. You know, if you watch Tenet in pieces, you probably could. Actually, you probably could watch Tenet in pieces because they explain it every five minutes. You know, Interstellar, you can't watch Interstellar in pieces. You can't watch part of it today and then, you know, come back on the weekend and watch the rest because you're going to be totally lost. But yeah, I can. I mean, again, I, I do. I, I did like it a bit more than you, which I mean, that's a subjective part, but you're absolutely right with oh, the critique. The second half sure. was just a great great uh experience it's just yeah the only Absolutely. issue i had was the first half being a bit slow uh i also mm-hmm. watched the movie fitch with finch which was on apple oh. tv with uh have um, that yeah tom, tom hanks. hanks um have that ready to go but haven't watched it yet yeah it's worth a watch because it's you know part of the whole streaming service so it's like eh, may as well watch it um they did a lot with very little so hmm. yeah I'd, I'd recommend it, it has a 7.0 on IMDb, uh, the cast, as you can see here, it's seven people, but honestly, it's even fewer than that. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to, it, it's Castaway in the post-apocalyptic oh. area. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I'm, I'm there then. Just, <laughs> yeah. And I'll see anything Tom Hanks is in, bar uh-huh. none, but I mean, News of the World, his last movie, that was garbage. Like, that was probably one of the worst movies one. he's ever done. Wow. Don't, like, honestly, unless you're a Tom Hanks a great completion. trailer. <laughs> you know that's the thing the premise everything sounds great and it starts good uh-huh. you know i mean i'm not i'm not you know western westerns are not my favorite genre you know i like a good western i like an unforgiven you know i like a hateful eight uh you know i like the over uh, the uh what's the word uh the indulgence of the 90s that is tombstone mm-hmm. uh which has one of the greatest performances by an actor ever with val kilmer and doc holiday by the way if i had to put it make a top 10 list uh It'd be that, but um, yeah. So, but I mean, that movie, like news, of, and Paul, I think Paul Greengrass directed it. The guy that did uh, United ninety three and uh, the start of the Born franchise. So he's a good director. But the movie, I think, is like maybe two out. It's over two hours, and it should have been an hour and a half. It's also it's also one of those movies. It's like Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, uh, except in Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, you don't want it to end. But it's like, oh, this must be the end. Oh, wait, it's still going. <laughs> Ten minutes later, oh, this is the end. Oh, it's still going. Like, wow. you know, and also the idea of Tom Hanks in a Western was like, oh, hell yeah, this is, that's he's never done that before. This should be great. And again, he's not bad in it, but the movie itself, then it needed to be yeah, an hour and 55, 58 should have yeah. been an hour and a half. If it would have been a solid hour and a half. I probably would have really liked it way too long for what it was. They tell the story like and it's just it ends so many times it's like, OK, why? <laughs> Whatever. OK, come on. End, end, end. I'm ready to be done. Wow. You know, I would never watch that one again. 
know, I will watch Castaway again. I watch Big again. I watch Apollo 13. I watch Turner and Hooch multiple times. Yeah. Uh, even uh, Greyhound, which I talked about I when it came Greyhound. out last year. Yeah. Greyhound is amazing. Absolutely. That's also Apple TV, which I could just fire up. So. Yeah, I think that was like That's the first big release too. they had. Yeah. And it, it, it honestly, that movie feels longer because, you know, it's it, 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 that movie should like the tagline for that movie should have been. You should only have to pay for half a uh, for part of a seat because you only need the edge. Oh gosh! Because like like <laughs> you know because I mean he's he, they're part of a fleet that escorts supply ships to Germany to, to England during World War II, and they have to go through this patch of area where the, there's a part you know there's because between America and England you know obviously there's the goddamn Atlantic Ocean, so. Uh, you know, we have to, uh, you know, our airplanes from America can only go so far. Airplanes from Europe can only go so, so far. So there's like this two or three day period where there's no air support. And that's where the U-boats like attack them because there's no air support. So the whole movie is pretty much about them in that one patch of ocean trying to get to air support while not losing too many ships. Hmm. And like, you know, uh, it's pro- it, it's amazing. It is so good. I It's one of Tom Hanks' best. Like now – let me, let me take one step back. Like it has kind of a beginning and an end, like in terms of his character that you kind of think you're going to go somewhere, but they just kind of explain it. But believe me, the, 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 the point of this movie is the middle. And the first part is like, you know, we're talking five minutes here and five and two minutes at the end, if that much. And the rest is on the ship. And when they're on the ship looking for U boats and when they see a U boat and the tension, it's, it's some of the best tension I've ever experienced in a movie in a non horror movie. I'll put it to you that way. I mean, I'm sitting there like, oh, like, oh, sh- oh, shit. And it's, you know, of course, you know, you know, well, you, I don't want to say anything. You just have to watch it. Yeah, I gotta watch it. But uh, I think it, it's, it's very, very, it is the best movie that I know of that was filmed in Baton Rouge. Put it to you that way. <laughs> so, uh, but it's, it's really good. Like truly like a, it's a, I went in expecting it to be like kind of boring. I thought it was gonna be like a really heavy drama, yeah. but it is a straight, like, like on IMDb, it says action drama history. Mm-hmm. That's the exact order. It's more of an action movie slash thriller than a drama, you know, but it's real good. And when I saw Fitch pop up, I was like, Tom Hanks has a new, I didn't even hear anything about this. Right. right. Uh, so I got it ready to watch. Just haven't got to it uh, just yet, but I'm, you know, I'll watch anything that he's in at least once news of the world. We'll never watch it again. Have you seen the movie, uh, the road Vigo? Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. It feels a bit like that. Like Tom Hanks's road. Is it a? Is it quite as uh, ultimately heartrending, depressing as the end of the road? I'll let you be the judge. Actually, of actually that. Don't, don't say anything. <laughs> you can be the judge. It's like, yeah, the road. I mean, I think the road is an amazing movie, uh, yeah, but I, I will probably that. maybe watch it one time ever again <laughs> when I've forgotten about it enough to like rewatch it because yeah. it is so brutal and you know not that i dislike movies like i think you know you need those movies like that yeah. that aren't like oh we made it son I'm so glad we made it and we're all happy now no you need heart ripping, you know, realistic shit because every day we see pictures and hear stories of how horrible the world is. Yeah. And while we do go to films to kind of escape from that, you do need to be reminded, you know, sometimes you want to see that story like that, or you need, you need to, you need, you know, not that you go revisit it. No, well, if you're ever making <laughs> uh, a post-apocalyptic movie, you gotta, you gotta watch the road to get inspiration. I did that whenever we made lights, which is kind oh, of, yeah, a honestly, I can see that. Thing. Yeah. In the, especially in like the color palette and the, uh, yeah. 
I don't know, you know, what, whatever, how are you adjusted the colors yeah. was much, you know, was very much, I can definitely kind of see some of that influence in there when you mention it like that, for sure. You can watch Lights on uh, YouTube right now. It's on uh, Sedgley Films, S-E-I-D-U-L-E. That's right. You could see, you could see me. Yeah. Act. See, Trey, you act. can see why. Watch the outtakes. Why I'm not a great outtakes part. <laughs> All improvisational, I might add. Yeah. Good stuff. Not that I'm not that I'm John Candy or anything, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that, I'm I'm glad you watched it all. I mean, of course, you were put up with your knee and everything for a while, so you got to yeah, catch up on some. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty so much you, all I watched. Silver lining. Yep. <laughs> but uh, we did get oh, up up. I did not have it. Uh, hold on one second. Let me put up the. We got some emails. Yeah. We had some uh, responses too while you're looking that up. Responses to uh, yeah, I, uh, I Instagram. Those. I found our Qatar listener, the Berg. Shout out to you! Thanks for listening. Absolutely, over in Qatar. Hey, get your wife to listen too, so we can become <laughs> number one in Qatar. <laughs> yeah. All show, we just need one more, one more in Qatar. <laughs> All of those big <laughs> Qatar numbers. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate it for sure. Uh, but uh, I don't think. Uh, I, we got we got two emails. One I, I meant to read last week, but forgot. Uh, from Mike Hastings, mm. uh, I'll just go ahead and go right into it. Uh, gentlemen, thank you for taking my suggestion for doing a month of John Candy films. Just finished listening to the Armed and Dangerous episode. It definitely isn't one of his best, but still fun to watch. Uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is one of my all-time favorite films, and I've seen it well over a hundred times. I usually watch it on Thanksgiving, which I did last month since I'm a Canadian, and we celebrated for some reason a month before you guys. <laughs> I did not know that. Uh, it's awesome to know that we have such so much in common. You mentioned Nicolas Cage in City of Angels. I actually just watched that last night. He is my favorite actor. I'm currently going through all of his movies. City, City of Angels was the, seven, was the 77th film I've watched of his, and I have about 30 more to go. Hey, Cage Month, Vampire's Kiss. Keep up the great work, Mike Hastings. Mike, thanks for listening and all that. Of course, I mentioned before, uh, I definitely want to cover Vampire's Kiss for sure. Uh, the, you know, I have to go a little, we have to go a little bit between months you know, theme months. Cause we just had Halloween. We just had candy. We got kind of do some fillers in there and then hit another month up. Uh, that's a great idea. But vampires kiss, like I've, I mentioned before, I think that is an absolute genius film that is merely, that is lamb blasted for his performance. But when you read about the performance, it's pretty damn amazing. And I think, you know, maybe in the top 10 of mine, I don't know. I have to, I have to really sit down with that list to iron it out. Yeah. But I definitely think uh, Nick, Nick Cage is, He's off. He's often maligned for his roles, and he—I mean, believe me—he—he he has some. You know, the Wicker Man. It's—it's it's in that level of Street Fighter. I know it's bad. His performance is manic, but it is so fucking entertaining. Mm-hmm. You know, but I—he's—he's he's a real actor, and you know, people—I think people forget that about Cage uh, because of his financial stuff and some of the choices he made in terms of films he did. <laughs> but you know, uh, Mandy was amazing. Vampire's Kiss, you know, from the '80s, I think was. Com- completely underrated in terms of his performance and what it is. Cause it's, it's not a comedy. It is a dark comedy. Uh, you know, uh, of course, but then, you know, we also did season of the witch, yep. <laughs> you know, so I mean, yeah, he has some hits and misses, but like much like Tom Hanks, like we were talking about Jesse, if Nicholas Cage is in something, I'm going to watch it. Period. Yeah. You Cause the man's Google, amazing. <laughs> Google, uh, Nick Cage, Venn diagram. Just came out okay. like yesterday, and I got it up on the oh, screen. Oh, I see it. See it. <laughs> it pretty much sums it up pretty well. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, every everybody listening, if you doubt this, you need to look at this diagram because uh, whoever made this is a genius. That is a 
absolute, I have never seen in my life a more accurate Venn diagram than this one. <laughs> Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Look at it. Although, I, I, actually, I, I do have one issue with it. They shouldn't yeah. have Keanu Reeves Keanu as a bad actor. I agree part. with that one. Yeah. They need somebody else there. Off. Yeah. Take Keanu out and somebody else and it's perfect. He is not a bad actor. I think that's a false assumption. Yeah. And, you know, an act, like Nicolas Cage is at, is, is at the same time one of the greatest actors of our generation, but also a bad actor. Mm-hmm. So I ask you, how can that exist at the same time? Unless <laughs> he is the greatest actor of all time. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so the balls in your court haters, but uh, we also got one, our good friend Lee Bragg from the UK sent us an email. Good to hear from you, Lee. Uh, glad you're still listening after our year long hiatus due to me. Uh, hey guys, it's been a while. Oh, I mean, I'm reading this in an English accent. Hey guys, it's been a while, but I just thought I'd write you a quick email to say I still listen to all your shows. I moved to a new house, which needs a lot of painting and a decorating or remodeling, as you can, as you call it. So been flat been out there. with all with that after work, and also got married. Congratulations! Oh, I've been there too. Still there. Uh, so rearranging. <laughs> yeah, me too. Thank God. Knock on wood. Uh, <laughs> so rearranging that a few times because of restrictions kept us busy I still have time to listen to your show and really look forward to the Great Outdoors episode I loved this movie when I was younger watched it a lot anyway hope you're both well sorry I haven't written in a while it's all good over here though looks a bit hard with less staff in the grocery store I work but it, but it keeps me busy anyway so shouldn't complain all the best Lee Lee hey man hey if you're, if you're doing good and you can't you know keeps you busy that's awesome dude I'm glad you're doing well yeah. congratulations on getting married uh, you know, remodeling a house, it's a hard work, but it pays off. When you get done, it is worth it is so worth it. My first house was remodeled. Jesse's done that several times. Yep. Take before uh, pictures and and see the after and you'll just be appreciative that you did it. Absolutely. I mean, in serious I think the biggest thing, if you never remodeled a house, let me tell you this right now. The difference a coat of paint can make yeah. is more than you can ever imagine unless you've <laughs> witnessed it. Yeah. I, I mean, some, sometimes all it takes is a coat of paint. Mm-hmm. So, you know, of course, I'm not saying when you got to repair sheetrock and all that. <laughs> no, know, that kind pretty of much thing. all we did was paint and like some plumbing stuff. So the paint went a long way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just to, just change this paint. Sometimes that's all you need, and yep. it's like it's like you're in a new house, like legit. So, yeah, and oh, uh, oh, I gotta I gotta say something. I almost forgot about this. I'm glad I didn't. Uh, hold on, uh, I got uh. I got the new iPhone and I have to do the face. I don't have to do the face ID, but I have all that set up now. So uh, give me <laughs> a second here. My phone for a second. Yeah. We finally, <laughs> but, uh, finally got the new iPhones. Actually. I didn't mention that. Um, iPhone 13s um, upgrading from a six S plus. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I went from a 10. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're finally joining the future. Nice. And hey, like we, were talking, we were talking off camera too about like the camera and all. That. I mean, just you know, filming and all that. That's that's a big I've, reason. The new me. one. That's ex- that's what I was most excited about. Not that I've been doing anything with it because that's my own damn fault. Yeah. Because I'm a talker and not a doer for all that kind of stuff. <laughs> well, I got the. Terabyte. I'm the Dia guy. I got the big yeah. one, the terabyte. Same. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, Melissa didn't get that because she doesn't do all that. She got like the 256, which still is four times yeah. as large as what we're working with right now. So. <laughs> Um, that's what, uh, autumn gets, you know, cause, and then she's like, I don't want to, I'm like, babe, put my pot, put my, uh, my playlist on there just so you have, I'm like, I don't want to take up space. I look at her space, 16 gigabytes years of 256. <laughs> I'm like, babe, these, these playlists are like gigs each. Like you have plenty of space <laughs> like you, I got the terabyte. Cause I mean, I, I got movies, you know, yeah. I will never want for, as long as I have a, a battery charge, um, I will never want for something to do. Right. 
So that's why I went with the terabyte. <laughs> and of course, I'm a, I'm a picture whore. So I mean, I got you know a lot of Violet's pictures on there. You know, all that kind of stuff, comics to read on my phone if I get you know go on a trip or anything like that. So Did you get the I'm Max? impressed with it. Yeah, but uh, you got the I got a Max one. Oh no, no, I got regular size, but storage wise, I got the yeah. terabyte. Yeah, we went with the Max oh. because we've been doing a lot of uh, like gigs and stuff. And you know, yeah. anytime we need to look up lyrics while we're playing, it's nice to have the bigger screen. Mm-hmm. So. And the thing is, honestly, if you compare them. It's really like my phone with a case is about the same size as the Max without a case. Uh-huh. So I mean, you know, it's really, it's honestly not that much bigger. Like when yeah, you actually see them next to each other, to where when I got my new one, yeah, I mean it's it's really negligible. I'm just I like I mean, but I got a, I got the biggest iPad, so I'm kind of like I like to have the smallest possible for my personal carry uh, yeah. and the bigger one. But uh, when I did compare the 13, the big one to because my mom got a 12 or a big one, and I looked, I was like. You know, it's really not that much bigger to where I think I wouldn't mind. So the next time I do upgrade, I might actually go with like the Max one because hmm. uh, again, it's it's not that much. I mean, it, it, it is a difference, but it's not as much as in my head as I think it is. Yeah, when you actually see them next to each other. But you know, just that little, you know, few centimeter or no, I guess not. I guess maybe a centimeter at most. Maybe hmm. you know that does make a huge difference. You know, when you don't, ha- you know, when you when you do see it, it makes a difference. I think it's more. It's a it, the benefits outweigh the negatives that I was projecting onto it. I guess is what I'm trying right. to say. But uh, yeah, before we go, and uh, we did get one other message on Instagram from the uh, El Dorito Doomslayer, uh, that wrestler in TCW. Who hey, look, look, Doomslayer. I think you're a good wrestler, but you know what? I, I wasn't trying to call you out, man. But you need to step it up because I mean, you're losing. <laughs> you know, you you got to step it up, man. You got to do something, okay? But look, here's what he said. I want to say it in his voice too, because he, because he's, you know, he's he's Tasmanian. Mm-hmm. Oh, did you called me out in the last episode, Trey. You better watch it back. Oh, right. You're in Tasmania, Doom Slayer. What you gonna do? <laughs> I don't think you know. You ain't winning enough matches to fly over here. No. So you know, and you got and you got like 46 children, 28 children. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't think you do either. So you know, Doom Slayer. You know, whatever, man. Hey, I, I, look. I say that out of love. I'm a fan. But dude, come on. You know, Come step on, it yeah. up. So anyway, uh, that's all the emails and Instagram stuff. So uh, hit us up on either of those. Of course, 80s Revisited at gmail.com on Facebook, 80s Revisited Podcast uh, on uh, Facebook, on Instagram, 80S underscore Revisited. Uh, and we have something on, t- I think it's just at 80s Revisited, all one word on Twitter. I'm not sure because I just post, I post directly from Instagram because it actually works when it pushes it to Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. So that's the one I use. I don't check Twitter except once in a blue moon. Cause I doom Slayer did say I was Twitter illiterate. Uh, so, uh, well, I that. mean, he's not wrong. But. <laughs> <laughs> I actually just kayfabed a, a bad thing right there, but we'll talk about that off camera. Anyway, everybody, uh, don't forget Cajun toy review, uh, the BAM cast with, a. Uh, ben over there. Uh, they just did uh, shit. They did two. They did movie forty three. I think is what it's called, which I I hate. Okay. I really hate that movie. I think it's really stupid. It. It's got a couple of laugh out loud parts. Hugh Jackman's great in it. And they did uh, they did oh Spy Hard with Leslie Nielsen, hmm. which Leslie Nielsen parody movie. Yeah. Always a good time. So next week we will finally reach the end of this candy bucket for the eighties. Well, at least for now, because he he does still have, he does still have a couple other movies we haven't done uh, down the road. But we're gonna wrap up our week uh you know uh jesse uh we're just we'll just kind of shoot on air real quick uh i know we don't record on tuesday are we gonna 
do you think this will this will next episode still release on Friday or that's the plan yeah like I'm okay. going to, we're recording this on a Thursday we're going to uh, I'm going to process it and then just put it right up so but we can go back to regular schedule for next week okay so yeah so while you're out there you know doing your Black Friday shopping online most likely stay mm-hmm. safe uh we listen to the episode about planes trains and automobiles which you should have watched previously on Thanksgiving that Thursday. So everything <laughs> should work out great should the stars align. Yep. Uh, so, but uh, yeah. And don't forget also, uh, again, as much as, uh, you know, I don't, I don't like Doomslayer's attitude, but I'll, I'll still give them a promotion. Mm. You know, check out TCW uh, to watch the Doomslayer. You know, give them, you know, I don't know. He's, I don't know. I don't know what I, I, don't know what I think about Doomslayer a, anymore. If you want to see a loss, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, a, a good match, but you still, you know, you got to bring it home. You know, you got to, yeah. you got to carry something other than that chain, Doom Slayer. Mm-hmm. He two chains. I thought I heard a little. I thought I heard a little chain. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of chains, I could have swore I heard a little jingle of some or something right there. But anyway, but everybody, until next time, remain. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. No, see you next week with planes, trains, and automobiles. That's next week's episode for Thanksgiving. Uh, we, you, we won't talk to you again until after Thanksgiving that Friday. So happy Thanksgiving, everybody. And until then, I remain Trey Harris. Jesse Sedgley. Candy bar. Oh, ow, ow. Yeah, it's a doomsday here. I heard you talking a lot of trash about me on the latest episode of 80s Revisited, and I've had enough. You know, I've got a very short fuse. Talk crap not once, but twice in one episode. And now here I am. I skipped quarantine and I came straight for you in California and I can see Jesse on the other end of Zoom and you're lucky you haven't acted the same way or else I'll be on the next flight to Baton Rouge and taking you out too. Anyway, I'm normally such a great fan of this podcast but if you keep the trash talk up then I'm not going to give you any more shout outs on the BAMcast or any other podcast I turn up. You know I like to do lots of different things. And sometimes there's other people there. Anyway, don't forget to check out El Hijo de Doomslayer on Instagram. You can just look for them on there. They don't have spaces, so you've got to go through the, the underscores to spell out the full name. El Hijo de Doomslayer is on Facebook. And I guess you can make sure you subscribe to all the 80s Revisited stuff, especially the Twitter. Get on the Twitter because we know how much Trey is uh, illiterate at using Twitter. We want to really uh, get that thing blasting up. Gonna, we want to fire up his phone, make it catch fire, and, uh, and, and check out iHeart Board Games on Twitch and all those good places and YouTube because Jesse does a, a really great job until he starts trash-talking me. Then it's going to be a bad job. Anyway, uh, cowabunga! On Facebook.com slash AwesomePods. And follow us on Twitter at AwesomePods.